All right, welcome back to G5 Football Daily, your audio accompaniment to our coverage of the Group of Five on Sports Illustrated and Fan Nation, the SI Media Group. Uh, Joe Londrigan here with you, as always, ready to talk the crazy, in crazy, incredible and crazy. I'm <laughs> making up words like I'm, I don't know, some kind of Aerosmith wannabe over here. Uh, Joe Londrigan here with you to talk G5 football with a guest you've seen plenty of times at this point, uh, Eric Henry of 247 and Horns 247, someone I've covered G5 football with a lot over the years. Eric, it's uh, been a busy day for you in Austin, Texas, but I appreciate you coming on to talk uh, G5 and, and what we're expecting over the next six weeks or so here. Absolutely, Joe. Appreciate you having me on as a guest, as always. For those of you listening, we are taping this the evening of the final college ball playoff ranking. So as Joe said, it's certainly been a eventful day and afternoon here in the state capital of Texas. And Joe, I, I haven't had a chance to tell you this story since the last time we talked. I hope you don't make me laugh too much, which is you know going to be challenging considering the you know good friends we've become over the past six years of, of doing this. I am suffering with a bruised sternum. Okay. Uh, yours truly was benching because, you know, it's the one athletic endeavor that I really can do still is just lift heavy things. Um, and whoever had been on the bench press ahead of me had some sort of slick substance on their hands. And I was benching through, it's, it's hard. I don't know if their hands are just like slick or whatever it was. Um, so I usually take the time to wipe down, you know, the, the, the bench and the bar and everything. I didn't. Um, and I was benching 315 and I was benching 315 as I've done since I was like 17, you know, like, no big deal. We'll knock it out. And uh, Joe just gave a face that is unfortunately This is an audio podcast, so you guys won't see. But, you know, we'll knock it out. And then uh, right around that sixth rep, I, it, it, I, I can't even tell you what happened because it happened so fast. The bar was literally on my sternum, and people had to come over and get it off. Um, and, yeah, that is – I mean, the wind knocked out of me, Joe, is an understatement. I mean, it took me – minutes to recover luckily i i did and we finished the rest of the workout but uh please don't let me laugh too much because laughing and sneezing hurts like hell <laughs> thankfully i've that <laughs> now that i'm actually trying to make you laugh i can't even think of anything um but oh that sucks man i i, I made a face because you had to work in the humble brag that you're still benching 315 well after your playing career thankfully i've my fitness regimen has been try not to get too fat. So I, I don't even know what my max bench would be at this point. It's, it's mostly just like making sure my body doesn't break before I'm 40. That's that. Well, it's, it's interesting. You mentioned that we will get into the playoff rankings, Joe, but I, uh -huh. I do. This is something you'll appreciate, right? We all can appreciate. Yes. I threw the humble brag out there, but I know you'll, you'll feel this one. The local Austin media were invited to play in a um, pickup soccer game via Austin FC over there at the uh, at the stadium. Um, I did not get an invite because I'm in my first year, but a lot of people on the Texas beat did. And uh, Bob Bayou, who is, you know, one of the longtime guys here, CBS Austin, um, big 6'4", sports anchor. Um, he won MVP two years ago. And Bob's got to be mid to late 40s. Hopefully Bob isn't hearing this, and I, and I, and I age him. But anyhow, Joe, you'll appreciate this. Um, once you get past an Asian begins with three explosive movement pickup games that are not for pay, they're out of the question because you know what happens immediately? Explosive movements, emphasizing explosive movements. Yeah. Akili. Yeah. That's the one. That's the one. 
you know, and we are not Kevin Durant. We are not Aaron Rodgers. We are not coming back from these in, in six weeks. And Achilles means we're done for like years. Yeah. Yeah. I, thankfully, I've never had anything close to, to that, but that would be the fact that my legs still sort of work is the thing that's ultimately saving me from ballooning much more than I could be. I, I, I was giving Bob a hard time because he was saying that everything hurt on him. I was just telling him that, dude, at your age, especially at six five, making yeah. explosive movements, you're just lucky that you didn't tear an Achilles because that's what happens to us people who are not professional athletes or like highly skilled college athletes. Yeah. You got a limited window in your life, kids, to do very athletic things, take advantage of it. Oh, man. We, we should probably talk about conference championships and football in general at some point, Eric. So let, let's do that now. Let's start with uh, the Friday game that we had this past weekend. Liberty winning their first CUSA championship, uh, first year in them, first year in the league for the Flames, as well as the first year in the league for the New Mexico State Aggies. But uh, 49-35, the final there. Uh, Caden Salter looking fantastic uh, in the running game in particular. Aggies got to be happy with the fight, uh, but ultimately injury to Diego Pavi in the third quarter keeps them from uh, making this thing a little more competitive than it maybe could have been. But still, 14-point game. It's not bad considering what Jerry Kill and, and his team have overcome. But, you know, Eric, what's your take on uh, the first CUSA championship for the Liberty Flames, who we have to discuss quite a bit more in this episode? But Yeah, Joe, I'm just going to start with the game first before we go big picture. I yeah. was enjoying this one, man. I had a chance to check this one out. Obviously, I covered the Big 12 title game over the weekend, and I was at Texas Live, a venue you know very well from our time, previous venture, hanging out. Texas Live, man, you know, as you know, it's a, it's a jumping place, you know, Friday night for a big event. And um, I was probably the main G5 uh, purveyor, uh, I guess, of sorts, in the sense that I knew what was going on there. Well, everyone else was focused on the, uh, you know, P5 um, games. But man, what a, a Joe, it just was a, a great game that you almost hate to see. I don't want to say end the way it did, but. Man, 35-35 going to the fourth quarter, you feel like this is this is great, right? This is two teams that I don't think the broader college ball landscape would have projected to be in a tight ball game. I know, Joe, the spread coming in was a little high, if memory serves me correct. I want to say it was Liberty yeah. at least by five or six. Um, I'll I'll continue going while you look for that. But I, I, I think that was the big thing. I think just the casual fan was like, oh, this is, you know, an undefeated Liberty team and they came in and 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 had beaten Liberty, beaten New Mexico State earlier in the year. So this isn't gonna be much of a contest. But man, I really enjoyed that ball game. Just again, just hate to see the fact that it kind of came to a lackluster conclusion in the sense that Diego Pavia's injury um was kind of the I don't want to say the, the deciding factor, because obviously you gotta give credit to Caden Salter, CJ Daniels, and that entire Liberty offense putting up a ton of points and a really solid New Mexico State defense. But yeah, you know, I just I I, I would have just liked to have had one more, you know, half of Diego Pavia. Obviously, Blaze Berlowitz did his best to come in and you know keep New Mexico State in things, but all in all, credit to Liberty, credit, credit to the Flames. Year one, conference USA champs, and we'll talk about where that takes them in the uh, in the uh, latter part of this podcast. Yeah, minus 10 was the uh, spread. There you so, go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. New Mexico State doing some doing some interesting things. Blaze Berlowitz, I'm curious to see his development because he's only a freshman. So uh, the fact that he got kind of thrown into the fire at that point, got a feel for him. But 
honestly didn't play too, uh, didn't play bad. Just uh, Liberty had uh, three or four more playmakers than they did, unfortunately. Um, but with that Saturday results, let's talk about those. Uh, let's start with the Sun Belt. Troy winning their second consecutive SBC title game in that one. Kamani Vidal absolutely went off. SBC title game record five touchdowns in that one. I believe he also broke the uh, rushing yardage record in that game as well. Um, saw some huge plays from Troy's defensive line as well. John Summerall continues to be a hot commodity despite uh, being relatively adamant that uh, he's not going anywhere, at least for this cycle. Yeah, Joe, I'm going to start there. Um, I appreciate John Summerall, you know, being adamant. I hopefully he can back that up. I, I guess the reason I start there is it always kind of gives me pause when I hear coaches come out and be so adamant, especially a guy who's at Troy, right? We're not talking about a Jeff trailer who's at UTSA and it's not necessarily comparing both school success. It's the fact that the infrastructure and the finances around things just, you know, at least they've got some things in place there at UTSA that are kind of making the case and Hey, you know, Jeff Trailer's doing all right here and he can kind of pick and choose. I mean, if, if a team, really want to go after John Summerall and say, hey, here's an offer you can't refuse. I, I feel like you're kind of backing yourself into a corner there, right? And then it just kind of ends up, you know, kind of paying yourself for potentially hard feelings that you can kind of avoid. That aside, on the field, yeah. I mean, Kamani Vidal had a heck of a ball game. I talked about it entering this game. I just thought that this offense – that to me is the development of John Summerall's team. This last year, this obviously with uh, was a defensive-driven team with Carlton Marshall and, and the guys they had um, on the defensive line. But the fact that Gunnar Watson, who feels like he's in his 20th year of football, I think this is his seventh year, fourth year as the starter there in Troy. Again, I talked about it on last week's pod. You know, last year he was a guy who you just asked to not lose the game for you. And this year, he's been a reason, uh, a driving force as to why they're winning ball games, right? Obviously, you know, pedestrian day, to a pedestrian game that day, but just overall is a broader point. I mean, I think you take a look at them, and you know, their their bowl um, matchup, that offense as a whole, driven by him, this twenty eight point outburst that you get in that fourth quarter, Joe, something that maybe his team was not capable of last year. So kudos to John Summerall's team. No, no shade at all on App State. You know, fine job there that uh. They, they were able to do as far as, you know, really kind of rallying their season and getting into um, this this position there in, in the Sunbelt Conference. How again, of course, still head to Orlando and play in the Cure Bowl. So great for them. But yeah, Troy and John Summerall, they're uh, a really interesting matchup. Head to the Birmingham Bowl to take on Power 5 team in Duke that doesn't have their quarterback. Um, their quarterback to go into the transport, Riley Leonard. So intriguing to see how that one will go. But all in all, uh, great job by John Summerall's team. Not a bad travel day to get to the Birmingham Bowl from Troy either. But you mentioned the Cure Bowl and who App State, uh, or rather, that's where App State is going to end up this bowl season. Their opponent will be the MAC champion, Miami Redhawks. Upset victory for them over Jason Candle and Toledo. Have to give it up to uh, not just Chuck Martin, but specifically to Avion Smith. Did exactly what his team needed to do, had some critical runs in the latter part of that game, threw for 109 yards, didn't turn it over, um, had that 50-yard run on uh, Miami's final scoring drive that helped them put that one uh, just out of reach. He was the offensive MVP of the game, but uh, team effort, really, for the Red Hawks. Graham Nicholson uh, played well, hit some uh, some critical kicks, even though he missed one, which uh, spoiled his attempt 
at breaking the FBS record for consecutive field goals made, although he did tie it. So congratulations to the uh, Lou Groza Award finalist there. Uh, but a huge title win for the Red Hawks as they get their first one since uh, 2019. And, uh, you know, Chuck Martin, he's a little bit of an older guy, but I think he could uh, find a, a good power five home somewhere. But frankly, I, it, it would it would not look right seeing someone else wear that uh, that trademark sweater vest on the Miami sidelines at this point in their history. Joe, you talked about Avion Smith cannot shade his play at all. Fall just one yard shy of a hundred yard day. I want to shout out the Red Hawk defense, Joe, because Daquan Finn is a really good group of five quarterbacks, someone who's led his team. This will now be the third bowl game that he plays in when Toledo plays in their bowl game. I mean, someone who's a three-year starter, veteran quarterback. You expect him, when you're looking at that matchup, to be able to, if you're just taking quarterbacks, you think Daquan Finns will be able to find a way to get his team to a victory, especially no Brett Gabbert there uh, with Miami of Ohio. But no, man, that Red Hawk defense showed up to play. You know, I believe Daquan Finn went 18 of 36 passing on the on the day. Very pedestrian game. And again, that's just the thing in my mind. When you, you look at that quarterback matchup, you're thinking, all right, you got a guy who's a three-year starter, someone who's a veteran taking his team to bowl games. He's going to be the driving force and getting his team over the hump. And upset win for the Red Hawks. So great for them. Uh, one more note on this game that I think will give uh, the people that really thrive on paying particular attention to special teams uh, some excitement. I, I mentioned Nicholson in the day he had made three, made three field goals, kicked two extra points. Uh, Miami punter as well, Alec Bevelheimer, uh, had an impressive night. He punted six times, four of those pinned the Rockets inside their own 20-yard line. And then on the other side for Toledo, they kind of had the opposite kind of night. Uh, junior kicker Luke Pollock uh, had just about the worst day you can imagine for someone at that position. Uh, missed both of his field goal attempts and missed his only extra point attempt of the day. And they also punted eight times. Just one of those landed inside Miami's 20-yard line. But with that, uh, we should move on to the Mountain West title game and a, a one that had you know huge after effects for the Broncos, actually, uh, as we see Spencer Danielson did, in fact, get that permanent job uh, with the Broncos on Sunday, but in the game itself, uh, Taylor green, ultimately, I think had one of his better performances of his college career, completing 12 to 15 attempts, uh, through the air, um, had two, uh, touchdowns through the air, had a season high in rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns, four touchdowns responsible for you can't ask for much else from your sophomore quarterback. Ashton Gentry also had a fantastic game as well. We saw that uh, Boise State's defense did some uh, did some good things as well. Uh, forced three turnovers, had two sacks, only allowed 81 rushing yards uh, from UNLV. So, you know, the dream season to you, for UNLV um, doesn't end necessarily in the title game. They still have the bowl game to play, but Mountain West Coach of the Year, Barry Odom, unable to uh, get it done on their home field for the uh, title. But, you know, congratulations to Boise State and their young offense. Seems like that program uh, has rebounded in arguably the most substantial way in FBS since, you know, the month of uh, the month of November began. Yeah, Joe, just to piggyback off of what you said there, I don't want to – you know, by any means kind of come down or, or throw any dirt on the year that UNLV has had. But I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'll ask you in the form of a question. Any disappointment in, in, in your mind as far as the 
kind of the lackluster way it, it, it kind of ended there. I mean, obviously, listen, this is no shade to Boise State. It's a really good program, really prideful program. And we've seen how they've responded since the firing of Andy Avalos. But you, we've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast. Seasons like this in Sin City have not been, you know, they're not a, a, a norm. They're, they're not a regularity. So to have the opportunity to cap it off on your home field with a conference title just felt like a little bit of the momentum that you'd want to carry. I mean, that would have given them a 10-win year, an opportunity to then further on that in a bowl game. Again, not saying it takes away from anything that Barry Odom and company have done there. And also, quite frankly, you have to see if they can retain their offensive coordinator in Brennan Marion because he is a hot name. And we'll probably talk about this when we get into coaching um, you know, using it a little bit later on, you know, maybe not this podcast, but different podcasts, but Brennan Marion, one of the, the young risers, former Texas assistant OC at UNLV, to see if they can retain him. But again, it just felt to me like a little bit of steam got knocked out of the UNLV season with it ending this way. I'll pass back to you on that. I mean, for sure. If they had been able to close this out, then they would be in the UNLV record books more than they already are. I mean, if you look at some of the stuff they've been able to do this year with Jade Maeva winning freshman of the year, uh, Jose Pizano being, you know, one of the top uh, three kickers in the country up there with, with Graham Nicholson and uh, Will Record from Alabama, then yeah, a conference title would have been the ultimate cherry on top of one of the best rebuilds, uh, best and, and fastest rebuilds in the G5 for sure. And, you know, we're talking about a program that ultimately was, was kind of looking like it was heading in the right direction, but then Barry Odom came in and jump-started it in a very noticeable way. So, you know, to see them not get this, uh, get this conference title, of course, it's a little, you know, it it deflates the whole story just a little bit. Um, it, It doesn't help that case that they lost to a a team in Boise state or a program, I should say in Boise state that has, you know, made more uh, conference title game appearances in the mountain West than anybody. I believe that was their seventh uh, and their fifth win, I think. Um, But yeah, seeing that definitely changes the the story a little bit, but ultimately I, I don't think it's something that this UNLV team can necessarily hang their heads on too much because regardless of the result in that game, still the best team this, uh, this program has had in almost 40 years. So hats off to them for what they have done. Uh, shake it off, go, go win a bowl game. That's what I say. The last one, Eric, uh, as far as conference title games to discuss here, we got the American championship to talk about Tulane hosting SMU SMU ultimately win it behind the play of backup quarterback Kevin Jennings huge one for them their first conference title since 1984 uh 26 to 14 is the final score in this one uh Rhett Lashley and his crew reach the 11 win mark um you know ultimately not enough to get them to the new year six which we'll talk about but you know, despite turning the ball over three times in this one, you got to be happy with what SMU were able to do on the offensive side of the ball. Um, and then defense in particular, I think ultimately was what won this game, only allowing 12 first downs by Tulane all night, just two third down conversions. Uh, just a just a huge night for them um, in terms of getting that uh, that Tulane offense that's had plenty of praise and deservedly so over the last two years to. Uh, have a, a pretty off night, all things considered. So, you know, SMU, they they get their moment on Friday. 
and you know, Rhett Lashley gets to send the Mustangs out of the American Conference on top as they head to the ACC next year. Joe, by any chance, did you happen to catch a uh, any of Rhett Lashley's post game interview on the field? Yeah, a little bit. What are you uh, referring to specifically? He was just very um, emotional, rightfully so. I mean, we're talking about you know almost losing his voice, but. He talked about, and, and I'm not saying this to be funny, so I, I hope no one takes it as you know me being sarcastic. Mm-hmm. Rhett Lasher talked about it. You know, his kids did it the right way in the age of the transfer portal and NIL. The kids really bought in and you know listened to what the coaches were were, were telling them and whatnot. And of course, you know, there's the measure of irony, right, with that coming from SMU. But just furthermore, yeah. I I um. Commend is not the right word, but I, I I do think there's something something to, you know, this team was coached by Sonny Dykes and he leaves and, you know, they've had some players, you know, take different opportunities and whatnot. And the fact that this team really rallied and stuck together and found a way to, to win, I just think that's great momentum there for DFW area in which, listen, I can tell you, I was there this weekend covering the Big 12 title game. That's why I was able to catch some of Coach Lashley's post game on the way home. And there are a lot of SMU uh, alum in DFW, for those who may not know. I mean, them, you know, North Texas, I mean, you know, there are a lot, of course, it's a rivalry, but a lot of those those alumni live in that area. And if they can really get things going with, with Rhett Lashley, he's going to be there for the you know foreseeable future, next three, four, five years. They're going to be that next team. And I talked about it last week, that it was really nice to see this AAC title game feature two programs who were returners, right? The the quote unquote like old blood of the American conference. So shout out to Rhett Lashley and his team. Kudos to them for getting the win, but just really intrigued to see what this program can do in building off this upset win in Conversado. Yeah. And I don't want to spend too much time on this because we we've got uh the the rankings and stuff still to get to, but that comment was a little I don't know, it was just it was just weird to me that as far as doing things the right way because you know i i like what smu's done this year i think all the guys that that came in uh the guys that did come in i should say gelled very well and they played well and they they stuck together through um you know some some tough situations namely the injury to preston stone in the last couple of weeks so a a season to be proud of absolutely for smu but uh, i think it was just the way he was like these kids did this the right way which no one does anymore and it's like how can you say that when a this is what the second or third year of the transfer portal it's this like second second or third year where nil is is coming in and you can say like nobody does this anymore but like your team did it this is the first team you coached like how do you have a a big enough sample size to to make that kind of statement that that was what irked me a little bit but i mean he coached a fantastic game and his team played well all year so i you know i say Worked in the the lightest of sense. It was just it was just weird. No, no, no doubt. I'll I'll let let your uh, your commentary stand there. But I can absolutely understand what you're saying. I'll put you that way. Yeah. Um. But you know, at, on the same time, you got to feel for SMU now because they missed the New Year's Six bid, and Liberty gets it as the undefeated, uh, the lone undefeated, I should say, in the G5. But the Flames get up to uh, number twenty-two. Uh, SMU at number twenty-three. Um, to end the season there. Or I should say, Liberty was number 23, SMU were 24. So we're going to see the Flames in the Fiesta Bowl against 
Oregon. So, you know, Eric, I'll, I'll simply put it to you this and I'll let you kick it off. What do you think of that call by the committee? I was torn on this all day, Joe. Um, and I still am torn on it now because I think you can make the argument that the American is the, is the, the deeper league. I'm not going to say better league, right? A lot of strong ties in Conference USA, covered Conference USA for a long time. And I think you got to give that league credit because New Mexico State came out of nowhere, right, to be a really strong contender and can't hold it against Liberty for who they played. But at the end of the day, I do think I fall on the side of the flames. I give just a little bit of the edge to the fact that they went undefeated all the way through. I understand the qualms of SMU fans who are out there and really frustrated the fact that they feel like they're in the – deeper league and you know they beat a Tulane team that obviously we know what they were throughout the majority of this year but I I mean hell we can even go with the Florida State route I I think there's something to being an undefeated winner of your league that Mm -hmm. just takes a tie for me yeah I I think my feelings are, are definitely similar you know Liberty won their Liberty won that won their league so that's a point in, in Liberty's favor. However, if you look at, you know, SMU's losses, uh, they were to Oklahoma and what was the other one? Do you remember off the top of your head? Yeah, Oklahoma and TCU. So two Big 12 teams. I, I think you can, you know, take that with a grain of salt because both those teams are uh, – Oklahoma's very good. TCU, eh, I mean, I, I think you can make the argument as the season went on, they were not the – same team they were in 2022 that's for sure but regardless i i think the way that smu responded and came back to win their title i think that's admirable um i i think it, it's not that liberty got it over smu right i think what people are particularly annoyed by is i guess it's twofold one when you look at what Liberty was able to do this year and finishing undefeated and they get rewarded for it. And then you juxtapose that against what happened to Florida state on the same day that has people up and up in arms. And, you know, I, we're not going to talk too much about Florida state cause that's not the point of this show, but I, I get where people are coming from there. And I get why there's confusion on what the committee's thought process was there because it seems a little hypocritical in that regard. Um, and not that it's even hypocritical. It's that when asked about it, the committee really doesn't have an answer. They, they <laughs> do a lot of, they talk in circles when, when they ask about, you know, rewarding undefeated conference champions versus conference champions from other leagues that had a tougher schedule. You know, that, that's, that was what was particularly frustrating there. And uh, yeah, I, th- I think the other thing too is just, when you look at SMU in particular and the injury to Preston Stone, I, I think they penalized them a little bit for it in the same way that they did uh, Florida State, right? And over the course of the next last couple of weeks, the, the committee's been real waffly on whether or not they take those kind of things into consideration. And they straight up said on a Sunday night that no, they did not take Preston Stone's injury into consideration but they definitely took Travis in consideration. So that's, it, it's just, it's weird. And I don't know, I have nothing against the committee specifically. I think it's been a long season and we're all tired, but the explanation they got, they gave as to 
why things have shaken out the way they did was not even close to sufficient in my eyes. But I, and that's nothing against Liberty, but because whatever, go in your game. That's fine. No, all I'll say is you spent more time listening to Boo than I have. And yeah. uh, I'll defer to you, but the little I hear from Boo, I don't understand what he'd be talking about. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I, you know, I'm just speculating at this point, but obviously for the first like hour of that rankings reveal show, it was Booger McFarlane and Greg McElroy repeated, repeatedly saying this set of ratings is a travesty to the sport. Uh, McFarland did not come back <laughs> after they pulled him after the first like hour and a half or so. And I don't know if that was by design or what, but yeah, no, I, I did catch, uh, the great Anthony McFarland, uh, going off and, and yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> may have been the powers of you saying, Hey, we don't pay all these rights to have a booger in the booger mobile up here. criticizing us. I was fighting the urge to ask that question. I, I did ask about some of the, you know, flip-flopping in terms of logic uh they did and that's an article coming to the site this week as well but yeah weird times um but you know i guess let's focus on the positive you know liberty they've had a fantastic season um they have overcome some adversity of course the death of tosh boyd and fall camp uh caden salter i think blew expectations for him out of the water in terms of uh you know what we were thinking he was going to do and spring ball and then he came into fall camp and was just a completely different person um and now they've got uh, the Oregon Ducks, who are going to have Bo Nix for the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, I know there's some question about that, but uh, talked to Dan Lanning briefly on Sunday night. Seems like, uh, yeah, Bo, Bo Nix indicated that he wants to play in the game. Um, obviously, things can change in the time between now and uh, New Year's Day, but that's going to be tough to defend. I think that's going to be, obviously, the, the biggest test for Liberty all season and the biggest test for their secondary, specifically, defending that guy. I was today years old when I found out that Boo's government name is Eugene. I digress. Um, in terms of that contest, I will say this. I, I, you know me. I said it earlier in this podcast, Joe. I do think that this has an opportunity to be a game where it's just quarterback-driven. It's Caden Salter can step up and show on this stage, especially with that Jamie Chadwell offense. Hey, we're here to play. And in my mind, and that's no shade to you know, Liberty's defense. We talk about some of the guys there, the standouts they have, but – I think that's an asking now, granted you have a, a month to game plan for it. We'll see what can happen, but I think that may be a little much to ask for considering what Bo Nix has been and, and how good he's been. But I, I think this is an opportunity for Liberty's offense and that Jamie Chadwell offense who never really got the opportunity was at coastal, right. To be on this stage to yeah. show out. And that's what I'm looking forward to seeing uh, in that matchup. Jamie Chadwell had some fantastic teams at coastal Carolina, but I would argue this Liberty team is the most complete he's had as an FBS head coach. So that will be fun to watch. Eric, I, we will dive more into specific bowl games and previewing those in the coming weeks. But based on what we know right now about the bowl schedule, uh, what other G5 matchups are intriguing to you? Oof, you're, you're, you're putting me on the spot. I will be honest. I have not had a chance to fully look over them just because sure. I, I'm just getting back from uh, the 40 acres. But just off the top of my head, this isn't G5 on G5, but really interested in Troy's matchup with Duke because we've talked about, you know, again, John Summerall and, and what they're going to be able to do. USF in the Boca Bowl, um, intrigued at that matchup as well. But those are just two off the top of my head. Again, we'll get into bowl season a little bit deeper because, um, like I said, I have not even really had a chance. I've been knee-deep in, in Sugar Bowl uh, content yeah. the majority of this day. Yeah. 
No, no worries. I, I think I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what uh, James Madison does against Air Force without Kurt Signetti and uh, probably without Jordan McLeod um, in the Armed Forces Bowl on December 23rd. Um, and then you mentioned the Boca Raton Bowl. I think that'll be a great game. Um, Georgia Southern and Ohio is intriguing. Myrtle Beach Bowl, uh, Boise State, UCLA. If Spencer Danielson beats uh, beats a Pac-12 team, that's, you know, I, I think he's got a place in, uh, you know, Boise State history locked up. That's That'd be great. Um, and then the Cure Bowl as well, App State, Miami, Ohio. I think those two teams match up really well. But last one, Eric. Uh, are you familiar with what happened the last time San Jose State was in Hawaii for a bowl game? I'm not. So, first of all, December 23rd, Hawaii Bowl, San Jose State and Coastal Carolina. The last time San Jose State was in Hawaii for a bowl game was 1941. Uh, they go <laughs> they go to Hawaii for uh, a few games against uh, the University of Hawaii, as well as uh, Willamette University, which they played regularly. Willamette's in Oregon. And uh, you know what happens a few days after they get there? Yeah, is Pearl Harbor. That would be Pearl Harbor. Yeah. and uh, But it's just a crazy story because in the aftermath of that game, uh, players from all three teams kind of dropped what they were doing and signed up uh, to be first responders and, and whatnot right there and uh, joined, you know, the whole Honolulu PD and firefighters and all that. And it, it's, it's a crazy story to look back on. And there's uh, all three schools that um, were involved in that have extensive records on it and that sort of thing. And then, yeah, that's, that's crazy. The story of the 1942 season and uh, the Rose bowl in particular is, is just a great rabbit hole to, to dive into. Um, but yeah, that's the last time San Jose state was in Hawaii, but they're going back this year to play coastal Carolina. Awesome nugget. Awesome tidbit there on your part, Joe. Yeah, man. All right. I think that's going to go ahead and do it on uh, on this one for us. But crazy season capped off in kind of a crazy way. Um, but we'll be here through bowl season to kind of talk about some of these other matchups and as well into the offseason to talk recruiting, transfer portal and all that. Uh, Eric, do you want to let people know where they can find you and uh, your day job and, and all that before you come back uh, inevitably to talk more G5 football with me? Inevitably, at some point, I will be back on this podcast. Thanks to the powers that be that allow me to appear on this lovely platform with my good buddy, Joe Liner. Can you find me on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore all things college football, all things Texas football, all things Big 12, a little bit of humor, a little bit of hip hop, a little bit of social, uh, not social commentary, but I'd say pop culture, like jokes. You know, I'm, I'm pretty humorous for the most part on the uh Old X account. You can find my Texas and Big 12 coverage 247sports.com, cbssports.com, CBS Sports HQ, Horns 247. Those are all on the interwebs and on X. Excellent. And you can find me at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore at G5 Football Daily uh, on Instagram and TikTok for video stuff. And we will be back very soon. Uh, just Google G5 Football Daily and you'll find all of our content, written, audio, video, whatever. Happy holidays. Happy football watching, everybody. We will talk to you very soon. <laughs>